All right. <clears throat> Who's ready to talk about blood? <laughs> hey, you're in the Old Testament. What do you want? Uh, <clears throat> scoffers, well, let's pray first. <laughs> we better pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before your throne room, Lord. Uh, humbly, Lord, we bow our hearts, and we ask, Father, that you would speak to this mighty book to us, Father. Uh, Lord, only you can accurately and truly uh, translate the words into the Spirit, Father, and from the Spirit, Lord, infuse it into our, our own hearts and our own spirits, Lord. Uh, this book is not deciphered through intellect or wisdom or higher learning, but it's deciphered through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, and no one can understand it any other way. So we pray that you would be with us this morning, Father, as we're gathered here in Jesus' name, and that you'd speak to our hearts, Lord, each person here individually, whatever it is which you would be seeking and desiring to say to them today, I pray that they would give you free reign in their lives and in their hearts to speak whatever you would seek to speak, to break down whatever stronghold you would seek to break down, to put in whatever hedges you would seek to put in, Father, that they would allow you to permeate their very existence, Father. And the same goes for me uh, and every other church service around the world, Father, today, where they're gathered in Jesus' name. I pray that you would bless them and you'd be bringing souls into the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. <clears throat> um, scoffers have called our faith uh, a slaughterhouse religion uh, because of the repugnancy of the blood. Um, it's interesting what the Bible has to say about blood, what God has to say about blood, very specifically, isn't he? And it goes on throughout Scripture, God talks about the importance of the blood. Even into the New Testament, it's very interesting to me that when the church fathers met together, because as we know, right, when Paul and the other apostles were going throughout uh, the known world in those days, and they were bringing the gospel to people, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they were bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to people through the Old Testament. Remember, Paul never taught probably out of 2 Corinthians, right? Uh, he wrote 2 Corinthians. It was a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth, the second one. Uh, and so <clears throat> the Bible says that, interestingly enough, when Paul was uh, beginning his ministry, he would go into the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues, and the Scripture says that he would prove to them from the Scriptures that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ, that he was, in fact, the Messiah. He was only using the old, what we call the Old Testament. The Old Testament is replete with images and uh, words that speak to Jesus Christ. It has been said, I think accurately, that the basic premise of the Old Testament is Jesus is coming. And the basic premise of the New Testament is Jesus is here. Aren't you glad you live on that side of it? Oh my goodness gracious. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that the prophets of old, when they were prophesying, they didn't fully understand what they were saying. God's telling them these things to speak and these things to write down, and they could never fully understand or realize what exactly God was doing or what God was saying. They were simply being obedient to God's Word, giving their lives for it. Again, that's one of the great things about Scripture. One of the great provers of Scripture to me is the fact that men and women were willing and glad to lay down their lives to allow their blood to be spilled out in defense of what they said was indeed the Word of God. God spoke this word. This is not my message. This is not my property. This is God's word. And they happily gave their lives for it. Not knowing even the fullness of what it meant. 
in the Old Testament concerning the prophets. But we live on the other side of things where we know through what we've been taught in what we call the New Testament through the apostles that all of the things of the Old Testament and everything that was written down was established and was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. That's why he said, I have not come to abolish the law, right? But to fulfill it, Christians get all caught up in the law. Uh, a lot of times, Christians, young, zealous Christians, uh, zealous for God, wanting to serve Him, wanting to seek Him, wanting to do right by Him, will allow themselves to begin to be entangled again in some of the older entrapments of the law, the dietary restrictions, and so forth, because they want to please God. And if it's in the Bible, I ought to do these things. That's why Paul wrote the book, uh, or I should say the letter to the church in Galatia, right? You foolish Galatians. Who had, he had a way with words. You know what I'm saying? Paul, he really, he was the first seeker-friendly preacher. You fools! You know what I mean? No, no, that's not how you capture an audience, Paul. Okay, slow down. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now thinking that you're going to be justified by the works of the flesh? Hello? Right? That's what Paul was really trying to say. Hello? Right? No, 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 no. When the Bible speaks of the law, and when Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, all the words of God's holy testaments stand. All the words, every yacht and every tittle of the Old Testament, of the prophecies of the law of Moses, stand. They've not been abolished. They have not been taken anywhere. But rather, they've been nailed, as the Scripture says, to the cross. Here's the problem. Here's the problem, Gentiles, most of you. I don't know if there's any Jews in here, but most of us are Gentiles. Here's the problem. This fledgling church begins to start. All these people are getting saved. All these people are coming to Jesus with all sorts of crazy markings on their flesh and piercings and who knows what else is going on in their pagan lifestyles. And what was happening was these men were following around behind the apostles and telling these people, you need to be circumcised and follow the laws of Moses. Paul's like, these guys? You think these guys are going to be able to follow the laws of Moses? Well, finally, it all comes to a culmination. The church fathers get together in Jerusalem, and they bring this up. <clears throat> and some of the people were saying they need to be circumcised, the Gentiles do, and follow the law of Moses. And it was Peter that said, why would we put a burden on the Gentiles that neither we nor our forebearers were able, able to, to hold? In other words, Peter said, we never kept the law, guys. That was the point of the sacrificial system and the tremendous amount of blood that was shed every single day because we couldn't keep the law. You're going to put that trip on the Gentiles? <laughs> and they came up with this final ruling that they were to abstain from food sacrifice to idols, right? From sexual immorality. And you remember what the other one was? From blood. Why? Why did that thing from the Old Testament, from the law, why did that specifically get translated even to us as Gentiles? You will abstain from eating blood. You will abstain from eating blood. That's, that's what we're taught. Because the Bible says in the Old Testament, remember God said, the animal or the being, the person, whatever, the life of us is in the blood. Now, I think that there's probably some cosmic slash scientific thing that takes place. Have you ever thought about this? At what point in time, after conception and before birth, when does the eternal spirit or soul enter into that baby? 
I have not the foggiest idea, right? You know why? I'm not God. I'm a pipe fitter. <laughs> I have no clue. I don't know. When does that happen? I, I, if I was going to guess, if I was going to venture a guess, I would say, conception, conception. Dad says, you better, you better say conception. I'll come up there and punch you in the head, <laughs> he says. <clears throat> I would say conception. And somehow, as the first platelet as the first platelet of blood comes into existence by the hand of Almighty God, there is the spirit of the thing within it. And as that little child, that little baby grows in its mother's womb, God is also cultivating that spirit within that little child until they're born. A dirty, rotten little sinner <laughs> from day one, right? And we always joke about it. You don't have to teach kids to be naughty. You don't have to teach, you know, you don't have to share all the time, little Johnny, right? You have to always teach them to do the right things. Their natural heart's inclination is towards folly. That's what the scripture teaches us towards a child, you know? You spare the rod, right? That's what the Bible says. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves his children is careful to discipline them. And to drive that folly, there's that proverb that says a child's heart is bound up with folly, but the, but the rod will drive it far from them. <laughs> Whack, there goes some folly. You know what I mean? Like that. You know? And, and, and this is what the Word of God teaches us. But that blood, that blood, that, that sacredness of blood stands to this day, Christian, Gentile believer, ingrafted branches into that olive tree of Israel that you and I are, the blood and the sacredness of the blood stands to this day. Why? Because it is still to this day as ever important to our salvation and forgiveness as it was to the Jew 4,000 years ago. It is still that important, the blood. So Numbers chapter 28, interestingly enough, uh, as the children of Israel are coming into uh, or towards the promised land, we're going to be getting into Deuteronomy, which is second law, and God reiterates to them uh, some of the sacrifices that were required. Uh, Numbers chapter 28 begins like this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the children of Israel and say to them, my offering, my food for my offerings made by fire as a sweet aroma to me, you shall be careful to offer at, the, at their appointed time. And you shall say to them, this is the offering made by fire which you shall offer to the Lord, two male lambs in their first year without blemish, day by day, as a regular burnt offering. That's the baseline, guys. That's the baseline. Beside any other sacrifice that was ever required or that was freely offered by the worshiper, the baseline sacrifice every single day without, without ceasing, every single day without exception, was two male lambs, one in the morning and one in the evening. The morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice every single day. A male lamb, two of them without blemish, okay? Uh, verse 4, the one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer in the evening. And one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil. It is a regular burnt offering which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now, 
Um, we can turn back in our Bibles, if you'd like, to Exodus chapter 29. If you want to turn back there with me, it's good practice. If you've got an iPhone and you're doing the Bible app, you're cheaters. <laughs> it's too easy. Like, I found it already. Well, I'm still looking, okay? It's in here somewhere. Exodus chapter 29. Exodus chapter 29, starting with verse 38. <clears throat> this is at Mount Sinai. God says to Moses, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning. Notice, for a sweet aroma. We prayed about that a little bit before worship this morning. A sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Well, I will meet with you to speak with you. Okay? So this is a reiteration rather of that initial commandment to Moses. God is saying it again. And again, all of the sacrifices, if you look into them, sorry, I got a little spilkish in my Ganectagazoink, as they say, right? Sorry. It's a shameless uh, comedic reference for those of you who know. Um, but every single sacrifice in some way points to Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, always. Now, the lamb is the easy one, correct? right? The lamb's easy. Behold, John the Baptist would say, when Jesus came down to the Jordan River to be baptized, John looked at him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus' disciple, John, when he was on the island of Patmos and received the vision, remember the revelation of Jesus Christ to the churches, when he was translated into heavens, remember, the, the, the scroll is presented with the six seals on it, right? The seals of Revelation, the six seals. And the, and the cry goes out, who was worthy to loose the seals and to open and read the scroll? And John said, I wept much because no one was found in heaven or earth or under the earth who was found worthy to loose the seals of the scroll. And then someone said, a voice cries out, do not weep, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it's Jesus, but John says he resembled a lamb bearing the marks of slaughter. Now, what does that look like, guys? You know, remember, remember, everything has to be translated into a spiritual sense. Thank you, my brother. You are awesome. Don DeSanto, ladies and gentlemen. He's one of the best. Hmm. <laughs> Um, now I lost my train of thought, but that was good water. <laughs> and so uh, he sees Jesus Christ resembling a lamb. Now, you know, in our minds, right, because we're silly, we're silly creatures and we watch too many TV shows and movies and cartoons, I see a dude with a lamb's head, you know what I mean, or something like that. Listen, don't bother, don't bother. There is a reason... There is a reason that there was not to be any graven images made of the Lord your God. You understand? <clears throat> and to this day, it is my belief, 
from what I can see of Scripture, although we're not held to this, I don't believe, as under the law, but I don't believe, the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, and I don't believe to this day that God is interested in our graven images, our pictures of Jesus Christ. You've seen the assault now that's happening in our culture and our society on statues of Jesus because they're, you know, they're all Irish and, <laughs> you know, there's Irish Jesus, there's, there's European Jesus, there's this Jesus. Tear them all down as far as I'm concerned. You understand what I'm saying? Like tear them all down as far as I'm concerned. Jesus Christ lives in my heart. And he is too holy, and he is too righteous, and he is too worthy. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the creator. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the judge. And how dare I even begin to assume that I can imagine his visage in my mind? That's my personal private opinion. Okay? That's how I feel about it. Tear him down. I don't care. He lives here. And I don't care what he looks, looks like. First of all, he was a Jew, okay? If, if we're going to go there, okay, you better make him Jewish. You better give him the curls and the yarmulke. Well, they didn't have a yarmulke back in those days. You better give him the stuff because he was a Jew, okay? So first and foremost, all of that aside, we have no idea, especially now. That's why we got a dove. We don't have a cross, but... That's why as Protestants, traditionally, we have always had crosses, necklaces, statues, whatever it is, but our crosses have always been without Jesus Christ on them. The crucifix, the reason that we have never had the crucifix as the Roman Catholic Church does, is that we celebrate what? The risen Lord, right? Understand, that's why we gather on Sundays. Jesus rose on Sunday, which is the first day of the week, and they commemorated that by gathering on that day. That's why we gather on Sunday. It is a celebration of him living forever to make intercession at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. We don't worship a Jesus who is continually on the cross. We don't celebrate uh, him continually in his lowest point at his death. That is past. That it was once and for all time, the scripture says, we celebrate the risen Lord. Amen? Amen? Okay. So we have the lamb, right? The lamb, easy. The lamb of God. That represents Jesus Christ. And then we have the fine flour. The fine flour. Well, what do you use, do with flour? You make bread out of it. And if you're Jewish, and if it's especially a Sabbath or a Passover, you make what kind of bread? Unleavened bread. This is a fine flour with a hint of oil put in together with it. It would be some sort of a, like, a, like a pastry cake, like some sort of a, an unleavened bread, okay? So you have the lamb, you have the bread, and then what's the third thing? The wine, the drink offering. And so you have the bread and the wine, and you have the lamb. It's pretty easy, isn't it? It makes perfect sense to me. Every single day, every single day was communion day. Every single day was a looking forward to when the lamb would be put to death and offer fellowship to his disciples and believers for all time through the cup and through the bread, which was his body, he said, now broken for you. And, his blood, and the wine, which was the blood, he said, shed for you. Okay? It's always this picture. And of course, oil is always, always uh, also a picture of the Holy Spirit. A picture of the Holy Spirit. That's why you have the, um, the um, what's that thing called? Thank you, the menorah. <laughs> Whoa. 
<laughs> you have the menorah continually. Good thing it's here, right? <laughs> like with this, there's no olive oil in this one, though. You lawbreak. Oh, I'm sorry. See, good thing it's not really the house of God. I would be smoked in an instant. <clears throat> um, you have the menorah that was continually and always to be filled with oil, fresh oil flowing to it every single day, continually, so that that flame, what? Never went out. It always lit the holy place. Always the presence of God, the light of God, lit and, and, and enlightened within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's always that picture. The lamb, the wine, the bread, the oil. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so, um, oh boy, I got lost here. Uh, verse six, it is a regular burnt offering, which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And its drink offering shall be one fourth of a hen for each lamb in a holy place. You shall pour out the drink to the Lord as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening, just like we just read in, in, in uh, Exodus 29, um, you shall off, the other lamb you shall offer in the evening as the morning grain offering and its drink offering. You shall offer it as an offering made by fire. Here it is again, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now understand, Chuck Smith used to joke around and say, God loves the smell of barbecuing meat, <laughs> okay? Uh, and it was, that's a good one. <laughs> and it's, I like that because so do I, right? But it's not as though God, again, remember, Jesus said to the woman at the well, the time is coming when those who are true worshipers of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay? God is spirit. He's not literally up in heaven going, oh, I love ribs. Oh, I love lamb kebabs. Oh, my goodness, I love that lamb. He's spirit. The aroma. Remember, remember, guys, the things that God has given us in the flesh to help us because we're fleshly. He has given us to help us understand some of the things of the Spirit that are beyond us. So when we think of God sitting up in heaven going, you know how it, you know what I'm saying? When I'm barbecuing out on the Weber grill, baby, and I just stand there and I go, oh, it's just, I love it. Too, too much I love it, obviously, right? I love it so much. Think of this. Think of this now. Your heavenly Father in heaven as you offer up your tithes and offerings, as you offer up some service to any person on this planet, as you tell someone about Jesus, any kind of your worship, when you're in the car and you're singing, you know, when you're singing and the tears come and you're overwhelmed by the Spirit when you're just worshiping Him privately and you're overwhelmed, know this, Christian, that that is an offering, a sweet aroma that rises to heaven into God's holy nostrils. In a spiritual sense, he is well pleased. He's up there going, when you're singing, no matter how bad, even if it's dad, <laughs> even if it's dad, he's in there going, oh, and God's going, oh, man. Gabriel, doesn't that sound awesome? Gabriel's like, huh, what? <laughs> yes, it does. You know why? Because he doesn't hear my father's horrible singing voice. What he, I love you, Pop. He hears his heart. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. You may be able to sing. You may be able to sing like an angel. But there's no man I've ever known on this earth who was more of a beautiful worshiper than that guy. Right there. And man, it used to make me angry. Because he would sing to Jesus 
everywhere, and I mean everywhere. And we'd be like, stop, stop. Is that your dad? No, no, I don't know who that is. And every single time when dad would sing, because he didn't care, he still doesn't care. You know, you hear him during service, you know. He's still, he's worshiping his God, and there's nothing else at that moment for him. I'm going to puff your head up here, Pop. But he's been my example of worship my whole life. And God's up there going, ah, that's where it's at, kid. That's where it's at. Understand, understand, it's the Spirit. It's the Spirit. The Old Testament, these sacrifices were an example, were a picture Hebrews 10 tells us very clearly that the blood of sheep and goats and rams and bulls and turtle doves could never, could never wipe away sin. We talked about the fact last week that even those who died righteously, Moses, let's go right to the top of the flagpole, right? Moses and Abraham, when they died, they went to Hades, right? They went to what Jesus refers to as Abraham's bosom, in the New Testament, when he's giving the story, the account of Lazarus and the rich man, they all went to Hades. None of them could enter into God's presence. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ had not yet been shed. This is all in Scripture. The blood, so they didn't go down into Hades. Understand, please understand me. They didn't go down into Hades to be tormented or, or, or to be in some horrible place. No, no, no. There, Jesus talks about it. He says specifically there was two compartments, one for the righteous dead and one for the unrighteous dead. But Abraham and Moses and King David and all of our heroes could not still go into the presence of God because he is too holy. He is too righteous. Moses, no one can see my face and live. I am going to hide you, therefore, in the cleft of the rock. That's Jesus. And I'm going to cause all of my goodness to pass before you. But you can't see my face until, until Jesus died on the cross was buried in the tomb, on the third day rose from the grave, and some days later ascended to heaven to the right hand of the Father to do what? Forever to make inter intercession on our behalf. And the Bible says that somewhere in that three days he descended into the lower parts of the earth and took captivity captive. Now, you know what I'm saying? Like, I love the way the Bible speaks. Like, at the end of Revelation, when, when hell and Hades and death gets thrown into the lake of fire... How do you throw Hades in the lake of fire? How do you throw death into the lake of fire if you're the baddest of the bad? That's how. If you're God, if you're the greatest and the most powerful of all time, that's how you can throw death and Hades into the lake of fire. Jesus went down into the lower parts of the earth and took captivity captive, and it said he led a great train to heaven. All the saints of the Old Testament. He went down, he preached his own gospel to them. Here I am, guys. All the stuff you wrote about, here I am. And I believe in a moment caused their understandings to completely know exactly who he was. However that happened, I don't know. That's my guess. And led them to heaven so that now, when you and I die in Jesus Christ, we are immediately with the Father. And we can behold him face to face. Why? Because of the blood. Because of the blood. Okay. Verse 9, and on the Sabbath day, two lambs in their first year without blemish and two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil with its drink offering. 
This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering. So here's what's happening here, guys. Now every single day we have a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening. On the Sabbath day, which is a day of what? Rest. Sabbath day of rest. There's going to be two lambs offered in the morning and two lambs offered in the evening. Why? For me, it's very clear. Emphasis. Simply, emphasis. We're doubling it up on the Sabbath day. Why? Because the Bible is going to tell us later on in the New Testament that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Who is our Sabbath rest? Jesus Christ. We enter into our rest. The Sabbath itself, why was it to be so hallowed amongst the Jewish people? Why did God hallow it so greatly? Because it was a representation of the very rest that we would all have in Jesus Christ. And so it was to be hallowed. So on the Sabbath day, two lambs, two in the morning and also two in the evening. Uh, <clears throat> at the beginnings, verse 11, at the beginnings of your months, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil for each bull, two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil for the one ram, and one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for each lamb, as a burnt offering of sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Their drink offering shall be half a hen of wine for a bull, one-third of a hen for a ram, and one-fourth of a hen for a lamb. This is the burnt offering for each month throughout the months of the year. So this would be at the beginning of the month, guys, okay? So every single day you have the two lambs, one in the morning, one in the evening. Every single Sabbath, which was Saturday, you would have two lambs in the morning and two lambs in the evening. And every month, at the first of the month, you would have this offering, the oxen, the ram, the sheep. Also, also, verse 15, one kid of the goats as a sin offering to the Lord shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. Now, when you get to the, the, the goats being sacrificed as a sin offering, remember, remember when Jesus talks about uh, in the last day, God gathering all the people together as a, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Remember? The sheep from the goats. Uh, the sheep are a representation of those who are in the sheepfold, those who are in Jesus Christ. And the goats are a representation of those who are without the pasture of Jesus Christ, the goats, okay? And the goat, uh, that's where we get our term scapegoat from. You all use the term at one point in time, hopefully not about yourself, you know? What happened? I was the scapegoat, you know what I mean? That happens sometimes. But we all know that phrase, scapegoat, it's biblical, it's biblical. When the priest would pronounce all of the sins of the nation of Israel and they would put it on the, hand of, uh, on the head of the goat and put that goat, there would be two, right? Two. And they would, they would put their, head, their hands on the, on the head of the one goat and pronounce all of the sins of Israel onto that goat and that goat would be put to death while the other goat with some other things would be set free into the wilderness. And it was a picture of the, the, the consequences of sin and yet, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we being goats, being set free, okay? Um, so, the goat for a sin offering. Now, I just wanted to talk a little bit um, about this blood. A tremendous amount of blood was continually being shed as a continued reminder of the cost of sin. Have you ever thought about this? How much blood? Because, remember, we're not talking at all 
about all of the, the personal sacrifices brought to the temple or the tabernacle by the people, right? Each of them could also bring a burnt offering, a sin offering, a fellowship offering for the priest to offer for their home, for their house, on their behalf. We're talking about in the, in the time of the wilderness, the wandering in the wilderness, almost roughly somewhere around a million and a half to two million people. Imagine the blood, guys. You know, when we get to uh, the, the coronation of Solomon as king of Israel and the institution of the temple after it was, it was after his coronation, sorry, after he built, fully built the temple, Solomon's temple, and that first day of sacrifices, I mean, it is a bloodbath. It is an absolute slaughterhouse. There is so much blood. To you and I, I dare say, some of you wouldn't make it. Some of you would keel right over. How many people are hate needles, you know, or hate seeing the sight of blood? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Judaism ain't for you. <laughs> Not in the old days, anyway. Not in the old days. Now, what they have found is that under Herod's temple, because Solomon's temple, I don't think they have much archaeologically from, but from Herod's temple, the, the, the temple during Jesus' time, there was actually underground pipes, huge underground pipes that went some 30 miles to the Kidron Valley. Now, I'm not going to get into this, but do this in your own personal Bible study. I, 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 I challenge you this week, do a word search on your little Bible app or in your study Bible of the Kidron. The Kidron, the Kidron Valley, all throughout scriptures, things that were unclean were taken there. When, 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 a, when Josiah came in, took, became the king, and he took all the idols and altars to Baal out of the temple, they burnt him up in the Kidron. And all of the blood that flowed from the temple in those underground pipes that was mixed with running water, guess where it all went to? The Kidron. And then there's, there's another term called the Brook of Kidron. Now, here's something interesting. Jesus Christ, when he went into the garden to pray and be betrayed, it specifically says in the Gospel of John that he crossed over the Brook Kidron. That he crossed over the Brook Kidron. Always running into the Kidron Valley was a mixture of blood and water. When Jesus was crucified... And the soldiers came by to break the legs of the, of the people who were still on the cross to, so that they would suffocate to death. And they found that Jesus was already dead. And he took a spear and he shoved it up into Jesus' body cavity. Remember what came out? Blood and water mixed together. Now, there's a medical condition that explains that as well. It's interesting. I'm not trying to come up with a new doctrine or anything here, guys. It's just one of those cool Bible things. Like, there's so many pictures. There's so many illustrations of the work of Jesus Christ. But the blood the blood. It is necessary. Every single day, every single day, that blood is necessary. Now, all of Hebrews teach us about this, all of the blood that was shed, the millions, literally millions of gallons of blood that were poured out over the years and in the temple years that ran into the Kidron Valley, all of that, the Bible says, could never begin to atone for my sin. That's how wicked my sin is. We live in a time and we live in a day and we live in an age when people want to wink at sin or they want to make an excuse for sin or they want to say that that's not sin anymore. But we as Christians have to remember in God's economy what sin is. It is insidious. It is the leprosy of the law. It is the spot, it is the mold of the house. Remember, we went through the laws of the mold in the house. 
You find a little piece of mold in your house, you tear that part of the wall out. You give it a certain amount of time, you go back in. If there's more, then you tear that whole side of the wall down. And then you give it a certain amount of time and you build that wall and you go back in. And if mold is found in the house again, you completely demolish the house and start over again. Why? Because of the effects of mold on the health system. But what God was really pointing to is the effects of sin in our lives. In our lives. Any sin that resides in my heart and in my life is not something for me to excuse, is not something for me to wink at, is not something for me to say, well, I'm covered in the blood, I'm covered in the blood, I'm covered in the blood. God did not cover me in the blood of Jesus Christ so I could continue to sin. Now, now, your sinning is inevitable, isn't it? Your sinning is inevitable. What are we talking about? We're talking about open rebellion. We're talking about, I know this thing in my life is sin, and I won't acknowledge it, and I won't give it to the Lord. I have a right to it. It's mine, and I'm going to hold on to it. We have no right. We have no right simply because of the cost to remove it. Jesus Christ and his blood. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and uh, Lord, thank you for your, your holy word, and thank you for the teachings of uh, the law, Lord, that illustrate and point to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're thankful. And we're grateful, Father, that what we believe and what we know to be true, Father, <laughs> was established centuries and centuries ago uh, through Moses, through Abraham, through the law and the prophets, uh, Lord, so that we could look back at these things and clearly see the salvation and the price and the cost um, at which it was gained for us, Lord. Help us to be thankful and grateful, Lord, and, and yet at the same time have that, as Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Help us to have always in our hearts a spirit of mourning towards the sin in our lives, towards the disobedience in our lives, Father, for the sake, for the, for the purpose of being brought to repentance and to, be, to move on from those things, Lord, to break down or allow those, those strongholds to be broken down in our lives, Lord. Help us never to be satisfied uh, with the status quo uh, of our own hearts, Lord, but to always be seeking to be more and more like Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.